They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. All together, ooky, the Bassage family. All right, here we go. October 15th, obviously, somebody left Kurt uh, back at the microphone to sing. And, and, you know, Kurt, we're not just talking. That song isn't just referencing, um, you know, Bass Edge. It, it, it brings in Dave, right, Tori, Ryan, John, uh, Nancy, and Megaware, Kilgard, because that is for however many years since we've been around. Megaware has been presenting sponsors of Bass Edge Radio. So certainly be sure to check out all things Megaware at keelguard.com. How you been, brother? That's right, dude. I'm doing great, man. All part of the wild Bass Edge family. I've been doing really well, Aaron. Um, no complaints. Uh, just, you know, continuing to enjoy the bass fishing world. As we all know, I'm the extreme junkie and uh, it's continuing to be fun to watch and uh, monitor from afar after yeah. my U.S. Open fishing event and, and all the things that have gone on in October in early November. It's uh, a wind down time. Yeah, well, we... Rhonda had told me that, you know, speaking of kind of, I, I guess, monitoring, you know, she was a little concerned because she said you have been just locked into, I, I guess, what is it, uh, kind of your, your favorite website, only fans looking for a costume, a Halloween <laughs> costume. Is that, is that <laughs> accurate? Right. Yeah, that is, uh, that is definitely not accurate. Um, we, I think we did have a mention of only fans because of some change in policy yeah, they were going to have no like i think that was case. back in september right but that's i no remember i texted you <laughs> that we didn't have to worry about that so we could still go on with our great bass edge only fans section right that's right uh, no that's actually that's, not right that's not we don't have that aaron i know that you've always wanted one but it's not the case man but hey you, look just for you to model apparel but anyway so we digress let's go ahead here is the case we have another great episode of bass edge radio and before you hit fast forward or rewind to hear that great entry again because we all want to hear that several times we're going to move right into protecttheharvest.com tackle tip y'all stay tuned bass edge radio continues this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with BASS Elite Series Rookie of the Year, Josh Strayster. Hey guys, one tip I can give you for fishing this time of year, late summer, early fall, I spend a lot of my time throwing a topwater, whether it's a hollow body frog or a hard uh, plastic, just a walking bait, is I always keep a soft plastic jerk bait rigged up weightless just for a follow-up bait. When fish blows up on the frog or, or the topwater bait, I, I'll keep a, a fluke-style bait rigged up weightless. Keep it on the rod. I usually keep it on the rod with 15-pound test fluorocarbon, and on the rod that I can make a long cast to. Sometimes these fish around the schooling area will come up a long way from you, and you only got just a few seconds to get a bait to them. So you want something that'll throw a long way and keep it handy on the deck. 15-pound fluorocarbon, I usually use like a seven and a half foot medium heavy action rod, four all wide gap worm hook, and that's really all you need. If you do ever do get a bite, a fish misses it, I want to throw that bait in there as quick as I can. And there's two different ways that you can work it. You can either throw it right on top of where you had the bite and just let it sink, let it fall. Don't do anything, just dead stick it. The other way that I usually like to fish it, mostly in the clear water, is when I throw it out there, as soon as it hits the water, I start winding my, my reel handle 
and twitching my rod and just making that bait stay right on top of the water and just making a get a reaction bite out of the fish. That's probably the best tip that I can give you for uh, catching a fish this time of year that's not really ready to commit to another bait. Awesome tip, Josh. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, kind of uh, moving off of our traditional segment here, you know, we've got some exciting news, something that you're involved with. You know, you had a, a really awesome tournament series that was going on for years there in, in your neck of the woods in the Missouri area, Central Pro-Am, Pro-Am Elite, uh, really hardcore tournament. I don't want to say high dollar, but good kind of triple a regional type event and and you've kind of got something new set up there by a group of anglers to try and reignite and kind of reinvigor this uh national youth fishing association is becoming involved with a program an elite 100 program and, and you're kind of doing a one-off tournament and the cool thing about this is bass edge is associated megaware is associated renaissance financials associated December 4th and 5th, a kind of maybe what we might consider a test pilot of an event that's going to go down. Good paybacks, dude. I'm excited about this tournament. Can you explain a little bit more about it? Yeah, uh, very excited. I appreciate you bringing that up. This kind of, uh, I guess, spawned out of discussions about a year and a half ago. You know, certainly Mike Webb uh, retired from actually hosting the uh, Central Pro uh, when he acquired that, the Webb Outdoors. And Mm -hmm. so he stepped down, obviously, which is why, you know, I, along with many others from the region, kind of jumped back into the MLS the BFL level, but all of us got together and we're like, you know, we really like the multi-day format. We like having uh, to kind of put together a pattern. We like the camaraderie. All of this dates way back in the, you know, the 80s and 90s. Uh, Ernie Dartery uh, with Central Pro-Am, a lot of anglers, you know, that are now fishing the pro ranks came out of that and we just felt, you know, we needed to try and see if we could recreate that. So the thought is, and, and you know, JP Sell is actually the tournament director. He runs gotcha. the National Youth Fishing Association, does a 
fantastic. You know, the turnouts, the crowds, everything is first class about that. So we will have lie detector tests. We're going to have catch and release boats. Conservation is, is a big thing. It's going to be quite the fanfare. Going to be held, like you said, December 4th and 5th. They're at uh, Table Rock Lake at Indian Point. We've got the whole resort. But the goal is to provide a, a resource. Outlet, right? Yeah, just yeah. an outlet to be able to make a little bit of return on investment for a $400 entry fee. All money is being paid back out. So first place guaranteed $10,000. You know, second, five, third, four, three, two, one. You know, all the way down to 20th place. We're only allowing 100 boats. But uh, I can't say thanks enough to the team and the co-op of anglers, Matt Ells, uh, J.P. Sell, um, Bobby Albert. You know, the list goes on and on of the group that have stepped up and done this um, and kind of put support behind it. Yeah, I, I love the additional aspect of three big bass paybacks per day. So even if you go out day one, you have a rough go, you still have an opportunity, one, obviously to move up the standings, but to still win some money when they pay back three big bass per day. I, I think that's a cool deal. I've seen that at the uh, Juan Bass US Open that I fish. And, and, and no matter where you are after day one, you're still in the game day two. And I think that's an important aspect. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We look forward to see how this kind of goes uh, December 4th and 5th. Again, they're at Indian Point Resort on Table Rock, a great mid-lake location. So if guys want to run down to the dam or they, or they want to run up the rivers, uh, lots of options there without getting crazy on burning gas, which is something we know you can do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Table yeah, Rock it's all Lake, about having so. fun. You know, it's it's, it's about yeah. having fun. And, and certainly we will look forward to this. If it works, then it'll turn into a uh, tournament trail. And, um, you know, I will be all over that and be fishing that. And if not, we're still going to have a, a great tournament. Yeah. Yeah. regardless well want to encourage anybody that's you know obviously in that region or close to that region that wants to jump on board just google it up uh, oak outdoors and the elite 100 there at table rock lake december 4th and 5th only limited to 100 entries. So uh, and I'll, let me throw out a, an email here as well, yeah. uh, Kurt, just in case. I tell you what, I'll just give a phone number. It's 417-689-4066, 417-689-4066. And that'll put you in touch directly with JP Sell's office concerning registration. Awesome, man. Well, great stuff there. Look forward to see how that goes down. Maybe we'll interview uh, the champ and see how they knocked it out of the park there in December in, uh, on table rock which which is usually a pretty good time to fish that particular lake uh cool has already started so uh we're moving into i don't say winter patterns but definitely a strong fall feed that time of year but uh talking about fall fishing we're going to continue into another great lucas oil angler spotlight y'all stay tuned bass edge radio continues right after this message this is Evergreen Pro Staff, Justin Kerr. This is MLS BPT angler, Jacob Wheeler. This is professional angler, Denny Brower. I'm BASS Elite Series angler of the year, Seth Fighter. This is BASS Elite Series rookie of the year, Josh Strasner on Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. 
Well, Aaron, it's been a little bit since the title championship went down, but the champ is here. We are excited to have MLF Pro Circuit title champion with us in this episode, coming off that huge win. Also, heading into a Home Lake Toyota Championship event. This is going to make for a great show, not only for understanding his path to success, but also dialing in some effective fall fishing strategies. We roll out the red carpet for MLF Pro Circuit Angler and title champion Jimmy Washam. Appreciate you being on Bass Edge, Jimmy. Hey, thank you, Kurt and Aaron. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, Jimmy, man, what a season, you know, just listening to Kurt. I don't know that he's ever had to put that big of a sentence, you know, accolades together in his life, but, uh, <laughs> You know, what a season you have put together this fall. The Pro Circuit Title Championship belt and then a Toyota Series win on Lake Gunnersville with a Toyota Series Angler of the Year crown in the ultra-competitive Central Division with over 320000 in winnings during 2021. And an opportunity to top it all off on Pickwick at the end of this month. What has gotten into Jimmy Washam? I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> some kind of one that I, I dodged the sophomore slump which, uh, you know, we all hear about that. And I I was aware of that coming into this year, my sophomore season on the pro circuit. But, man, that thing's just really clicked right. I kind of had a rocky road to start the season with losing my title sponsor just before I left the driveway to head to the first pro circuit event. But it's just been uh, nothing but blessing from that point on. And things have just went right. You know, every time something could go right or wrong, it's gone right this year. So I know those things are fragile and they don't last forever, but I'm sure thankful for it. Well, Jimmy, you know, I'll probably ask this question the last four episodes of Bass Edge Radio, because we've been talking to everybody that's won and had these amazing seasons, right? We talked to Seth Fighter, we talked to Brian Schmidt, you know, now we're talking to Jimmy Washam that have just absolutely crushed it. Talked to Jacob Wheeler after he won his second BBT event a couple months ago. What is making this whole thing click for these top tier anglers when they have this momentum push? It's probably the most difficult thing to put a finger on because everybody I ask, I get a little bit different answer, but we need to corral this deal, right? Because we all want to be able to catch them every time we go out. When we say what has gotten into Jimmy Washam, we know what's gotten there. He's rolling. What's making that roll for you? You know, it's just like you said, Kurt, it's hard to put a finger on. Um, you know, I feel like my decision-making the confidence behind my decision-making this year has been unstoppable. I, I feel like I can pick up and just, you know, totally do a 180 in the middle of the day, make a long run somewhere, you know, do things like that, that I used to not do with confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's been easy for me to feel like I was doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, it's the momentum, the confidence in your decision-making. And honestly, what I think has taught me a thing about myself that I didn't know until this year was the fact that we went down to two days of practice for the pro circuit and being a, a blue collar guy that, you know, works a full-time job. I didn't get the opportunity to go and, and pre-practice these lakes. All the lakes on schedule were new to me. Right. So going into that with two days of practice on these fairly large fisheries with such a tough field, I've really had to just look at each day like it was a brand new day. Uh, even, you know, day two, day three, day four of the event, mm -hmm. I'm still learning. And that has taught me a new thing about myself and my personal skills that I fish better 
when I look at things on a brand new slate and I just go with what feels right at the moment. I mean, there's been several blast offs this season where I had no idea where I was going to start until they called my boat number. So I think that right there has helped me find a, you know, a, a trait, a personal characteristic that has helped me make quicker, better, more confident decisions on the water. And, you know, I've seen the dividends of those. Absolutely. I heard a podcast a couple of weeks ago on MLF with Jody White and a great show there. And and you mentioned having a full time job. You, you're sheriff. You were sheriff, correct? Uh, there in your hometown. Yes, sir. Uh, sheriff's deputy for Tipton County Sheriff's Office in West Tennessee. There you go, Tipton County Sheriff's Office. They're going to lose you. <laughs> you announced a few weeks ago that you're going to depart your full-time job. You're going all in on the professional bass fishing career. You're going to start a little guide business or, or a big guide business. Maybe we can name it on a show, Aaron. We would help Jimmy name his guide service. That would be a fun show to do. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> So we're going to we're going to get it kind of do the guidance thing, concentrate more on the sponsorship and, and the uh, marketing programs that, that you're going to be able to provide. A lot of people desire to make a living as a pro bass angler. What has the road, if you could explain it to Bass Edge listeners, that's looked like for you to kind of be able to roll into this transition? You see a lot of these young college anglers, you know, kind of just pick right up and, and they're able, you know, maybe to just fish and they're just out there on the road for, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. And then they're able to get enough knowledge and understanding of of how to uh, compete at the national level. Um, you, similar to me, went and got a job you know, because you had to make some money to pay some rent and, you know, electric bills and, and family and, and all those kinds of things, which is probably a more typical road that people would have to take. So interested to kind of, if you could explain your road and how it looked like to evolve into making this step as, as living the dream, as they call it, <laughs> it's all questionable sometimes in my opinion, but living the dream as yeah. a professional bass angler. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I did take the road of just going to work. I was a, an athlete in college, but it was baseball and, and fishing was just starting to get a, a good grasp around my college days. And, Went to work at the outdoor retailer, and for about five years there, I was, you know, always in the outdoors, always in a boat, fishing and learning. Uh, I just wasn't doing it at a highly competitive tournament level. So right. I entered, you know, took the easy path set forward by, at the time, FLW and now Major League Fishing and, and fished the BFLs as a co-angler, moved up to a boater. Every time I'd find success at a level, I would step forward to the next one. I didn't, I didn't want to you know, sit somewhere static. I wanted to always move forward once I'd proven to myself that I was good enough to take the next step. And that included those steps moving up to the Toyota series from the BFLs. And then, of course, I qualified and moved up to the pro circuit. But, you know, I started out in an aluminum bass tracker with the old beat up Chevrolet pickup. I mean, uh, did not have the nicest of things. I didn't even have a GPS on that boat. Um, right. <laughs> I actually learned how to triangulate and, and stuff of that nature just by looking at uh, you know, graphs at the store that I worked at that actually had GPS. So that's how I learned to offshore fish at Pickwick. But, you know, I just I really for the path that my life took me down, I felt like 2019 was my absolute best opportunity as far as taking a step up in my equipment and buying a, a little bit newer boat from what I had. And I really said, you know, now is the time I'm, I'm at an age where I'm, I'm still a young man, but I, I don't want to let this slip by me and, and get to where I'm so tied up in family and, and getting older, you know, more advanced in my career. 
that I don't want to take the leap. So 2019, well, the fall of 2018, I really kind of made plans just to say, okay, here's my chance. Let's see if we can sink or swim. By yeah. the grace of God, I, you know, I was able to swim in 2019 on the on the Toyota Series qualifying for the Pro Circuit. So that's the route I took, you know, but I don't want to make it sound simplistic or easy. <laughs> right. And I also don't want to make it sound like I crawled through 10,000 miles of broken glass. But there were times, equipment breakdowns, financial strains that really, you know, put a fear in me and just an uncomfortable feeling of like anything that's that's worthy of of attempting in life, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, and thank goodness I was resilient enough to, you know, see my way through those things and and came out on the on the top. So it's it's crazy to look back at three or four years ago when I was going through some trials. If I would have hung up, you know, serious tournament angling, all the blessings I would have missed out on. So. Yeah, good stuff there, Jimmy. And, you know, going on with what you said right there, you know, how many times have we seen, not not just in fishing, but in business or maybe a relationship, anything like that, that uh, right before you're about to, you know, to make the summit and uh, kind of experience, right, that success, so many times people just, you know, they tap out. And uh, I want to go back to something that you said early in the interview, and it really resonated with me because we have a lot of Bass Edge Nation, right, that love fishing. They may or may not fish tournaments and not everybody certainly is is necessarily aspiring to make it to the pro levels but what most bass edge listeners are aspiring to do and that is to catch more fish and you know because of running a work schedule like you have and and being on the tour right we have limited days perhaps of when we get off work or to get on a body of water that two days of practice and, and you said a key comment that i want to point out and you said you fish what you feel like is to be right. And a lot of times, you know, idling out, you didn't know which spot you were going to go to. And I think of all of the, you know, sacrifices and that that you have made and trials and tribulations that you've been through. I just wonder if that's probably not one of the biggest lessons, uh, you know, to answer Kurt's question that you've been able to put together and why you're doing what you've been able to do is that you're not attached to any preconceived notions. Can you give us some thought on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Although I was practicing that and building those skills, being a guy that would work and not get a ton of practice, you know, even back in the BFL days or the Bass Club days before that, you know, for the matter. But I was building those skills, but it never actually clicked to me until I saw the pro circuit and had to fish against the very best. And I almost feel like I had a, an extra drive thinking that the guys maybe had an advantage on me because they got to go to the lake a month earlier before off limits started and, and get to ride around and see it. And I'm thinking, you know, I got to work extra hard because these guys have got a leg up on me. Really, they probably didn't, you know, fisheries change and what was going on a month ago doesn't matter. But I feel like that really made me kind of go into overdrive on just being able to show up to a lake and fishing what I feel is right. And the area that I grew up in with the Mississippi River, with North Mississippi Corps of Engineer Lakes, with the, the Tennessee River that I've spent so much time on, I've had, you know, a sampling of most of the type of fisheries that you could come across, at least in a nutshell, you know, grass, rock, offshore stuff, finesse, you name it. So uh, just being able to apply those around the country in a very short amount of time with what feels exactly right at the moment, and I can put something in my hand and be confident that it'll work. That's where that came from. It just took the, the pro circuit to, I guess, force it out of me. Yeah. In doing that, is there a style of fishing that you tend to rely more heavily on when traveling to fisheries that you're unfamiliar with? You know, I sit and think, and like I go back to the last two years on 
on the pro circuit and I think about what I've made my money on, I probably turn to moving baits a lot of the time, but I'm bad about putting a jig in my hand too. It's it's hard for me to say, yeah, there's there's one thing that I'll just pick up and, and do. I've made a lot of money on a jerk bait. I've learned that you can catch them on a jerk bait from the, the southern tip of Florida to the Canada border. But, you know, a chatterbait, a jig, there's so many things. I try not to be the guy that says, well, I'm going to go to this lake and this is how I'm going to catch them. I want to catch them the best way that you can catch them at that lake on that given day. And the next day may be different. The last event I fished at Lacrosse was was a shining example of that, having to catch them totally different ways three days in a row. So, you know, that's just having confidence in a number of different moving baits. And it, and it changes from, you know, a grass lake to a rock lake, this and that. But mm-hmm. I always do seem to kind of go back to the jerk bait. I think if I get around fish, I can definitely catch them on that. But I try to be as versatile as I can and keep a confidence level in, in all the, the tricks that we've got to catch bass. Jimmy, would you say overall you would classify yourself as a deep water angler or a shallow water angler? Based on some of those techniques you mentioned, sounds like you kind of stay in that zero to 10 more often than maybe that 15 to 25. Is that true? And if not, what do you feel like you would categorize yourself at? And do you feel like wherever you're at, you know, when you answer that question, is that based on kind of your upbringing there where you where you grew up in West Tennessee, North Mississippi area? When my dad raised me in a bass boat I was slinging a spinnerbait up against a, a laydown and until I was in my early 20s I was a shallow water angler no doubt I had caught fish you know deep cranking a little bit of, of offshore type stuff but I was a shallow water angler at heart then I fell in love with Pickwick Lake it's a two-hour drive from the house but I I mean I got to where I would burn up my last penny just to put <laughs> fuel in the truck to get there every day I was off work I was going and I fell in love with with fishing offshore on Tennessee River just something special about it and then I became a deep water angler and I I <laughs> kind of suspended a lot of those skills that I had learned from the time I was three years old right and so now I've transitioned into you know a lot of the pro circuit events don't offer that that deep water um ability it doesn't give you an advantage to say i'm just a deep water guy so as much as it does to say i'm just a shallow water guy so i've had to rekindle a lot of those skills i mean you know i've gone back to feeling like i can put a spinner bait in my hand i I can remember when i was a kid and you know paddling around a 14 foot boat and all i had was a spinner bait and i was going to figure out how to catch fish on it well (laughs) those those type of things, you know, put something, a confidence bait in my hand and go shallow and just know that I can figure out how to catch bass. Those things have had to come back to me. So I think that's really helped me have a good mixture of, uh, you know, confidence in a lot of different techniques. And I don't go into a, a certain event saying I have to catch them this way. Absolutely. You know, coming into the fall here, we're getting ready probably to hit some nice, cool weather. Fall fishing tricky time of year, right? I mean, uh, lots of different things going on. Here we are, you know, mid-October, starting to see some of those signs of fall. We've been talking about fall fishing because it really does start. I feel like, you know, you get a lot of transition in September time frame. You know, the bait fish start rising off the bottom. You start seeing uh, just a change in overall fish behavior. Talking about that through through the last several guests, water temps, cooling off some, not 
especially significantly yet bait fish starting to move back in the pockets starting not maybe the true fall migration of the bass feed but i mean how do you deal with this in between fall time frame tough fall conditions when working and dialing a good tournament performance you know for me it's throw a lot of stuff against the wall and see which one sticks really. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish there was, there's something that, you know, uh, an easy playbook like we have in April, but boy, October, that fall transition, you just have so many variables. You have fish that are moving and when fish move, sometimes they just disappear. We know that as bass fishermen, they can be real pelagic. You can have that weather system that'll cause the fish to follow the bait and show themselves. You know, you start seeing some schooling activity, fish get in predictable places. But if you don't have that weather, you have a lot of high pressure days in October and, uh, you know, days with no wind. And, and those are just conditions that are not conducive to, to catching bass, period. And then you can have the fish really, really key in on a certain forage size. That can be frustrating. I've seen a, a lot of days on the Tennessee River, especially when they're they're feeding on tiny, tiny bait. You can see big fish blowing up around you, and you just cannot get them to bite. But, uh, you know, all in all, October to me is moving baits. I want to keep covering water. You're likely to find a group of fish in an area, you know, more so than then August and September where they kind of mm -hmm. just get thinned out. So you're really looking just to, to find an area that you know has fish in it. Bait is key. You you want to be around the bait. And, and, you know, that's not the magic answer because a lot of times, especially when the bait actually does make the push to the creeks, every creek you go in has 10 million yeah, you can, shad. You can which, walk across them. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But what, what I like to try to find are the scared shad, uh, the ones that even if you're not seeing surface activity, you can see balls of bait that are, are getting spooked, and uh, that way you know there's something feeding on them. But, you know, a, a chatter bait is really key. Top waters, the fish really want to start feeding up this time of year. And those surface lures that either something that imitates a big gizzard shad that, you know, gets your, your big bites or something that imitates those little young of the year bait fish that those fish really get keyed in on. Those two things are important to me, but definitely feeding up. And really the only time I'm going to slow down with a wacky rig or a little finesse jig or a shaky head or something of that nature is, is if I'm really trying to pick apart an area where I've already located fish. But a buzz bait is great, especially if you've got some water clarity. Uh, or a lack of water clarity, you've got the right water color. Uh, your walking baits, uh, popping baits, those are huge. And then, you know, we get on into November, uh, depending on where you are in the country, but when that water, sure. you know, gets below 60, the spinner bait can really be key, but a, a lipless crankbait, you know, can really start to take back over like it does uh, in the early pre-spawn starting the year out. But it's it's all about the bait. The fish are wanting to feed up before they go to winter. And uh, it's just a matter of figuring out where they are, you know, that yeah. there's going to be a, a movement and you've just got to try to make sure that you're along with it. I think you bring up a great point there. Really liked the way you, you know, described scared shad. Uh, you see bait on your graph and, and uh, you know, whether it's suspended, you know, in that zero to five column over 15 or 20 feet, or, or maybe it's starting to push in the back of a pocket and uh, you see that dimpling or just, you know, like you mentioned, that scared shad. So many times you see a ball of bait and it's just chilling. 
you know, like, man, there's bait in here, but you know, I'm not catching any bass. And, and I really see visually what you're implying there to the listeners on the scared shad part. If they're moving probably because someone's chasing them, you know, rather than just sitting there idle. So, uh, I answer great tip, you know, fishing in the fall can be feast or famine. We're going to power pull down for a break, come back with Jimmy Washam as he tackles the tough fall pattern puzzle right here on Bass Edge Radio. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by Mercury Marine. Returning with MLF Pro Circuit title champion Jimmy Washam in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Jimmy alluded to it uh, in the previous segment, uh, the opening of the, the show. Aaron talked about what a great year you've had, over 300000 in earnings. And, and man, you got a big event coming up. One of your favorite lakes, probably in the country, if not your most favorite, Pickwick Lake, the Toyota Series Championship. You know, we don't want you to turn over your hand of cards, but in a preview, what do you look for as possible things to unfold during this late October event coming up? I'll tell you, Kurt, it's hard to put a finger on late October anywhere, especially on Tennessee River. I'm by no means dodging the question, but there is a boatload of things that could play in in that event. I mean, you've got the tail race that can be a big player. You've got schooling fish that can be very frustrating but very rewarding. You know, that time of year you can have the big fish – kind of start getting grouped up by size again, you know, kind of like they do in May and June. So a guy could find three to five pounders that are in an area instead of, you know, one to two pounders. And that's, that's really how somebody could get well. Grass is a big key, but sometimes the, the obvious, you know, docks and rock can also play uh, really anywhere that those fish can have that transition to follow bait and and set up to feed and you know naturally have some deep water nearby so there's just a really a a load of things that could play but i can say with confidence that somebody will will figure out that time of year how to catch some quality fish on surface lures whether it's a frog buzz bait a, a big top water and you know even that time of year sometimes there's fish that are a little bit deeper than what you would think maybe like a secondary what i call inside out type stuff where uh you know the fish push in but they're still what you'd consider off the bank and you know somebody might catch them eight or ten or twelve foot deep so there's just so many things to play there a lot of you know weather really depends late october you can get a weather front get some rain and and a guy might just go down the bank with a spinnerbait and a buzzbait and and get well um you could have one of those high-pressure October days that, that I tend to would rather be in a deer stand with a bow in my hand <laughs> right. and, and to, that uh, you know somebody will, will have to go finesse on docks or something of that nature, and uh, and that's how they'll, they'll catch them. So there's just so many ways to catch fish that time of year and so many different patterns that could come into play that, like I said before, it, it'll it'll be about who gives enough of that stuff an opportunity and then gets that little key where they can build on it and make the most out of what they see. 
Jimmy, uh, it kind of leads me to you, you saying that, you know, there's there's all of these iconic pictures out there of locations and, and things. And I think of one in particular is the, you know, the Katmai National Park and Preserve in Alaska, where you see the grizzly bears standing there coming up the falls and they're they're trying to catch the salmon. You know, I kind of feel another uh, iconic picture is at Pickwick, right? Is it the tail race you know, there at the dam? And and my question is, do you feel in general that uh, the crowded dam tail race will play, I guess, a bigger role than in the mid and lower lake shallower grass bite you know it seems that the dam area can hold you know up to pressure no matter how many boats kind of get in that area and if good current is prevalent but uh, from my instincts I feel that the grass would be easier to find a potential winning place to put yourself this time of year what's your thoughts you know I, I agree per square mile in the tail race area you know that uh, five mile area especially the the first mile below Wilson at McFarland just historic for continuously putting out fish, but it's going to be crowded that time of year. The benefit we have in this event is that we can also lock through into Kentucky Lake and fish Pickwick tail race. So oh, you're wow. going to have two tail races. Yeah, you, you're going to have two tail races that can play. Um, and I, I think all of Wilson is even a go. So I, I don't want to be speaking incorrectly, but I think we can lock into Wilson as well. So uh, right. there's, the boats are really going to spread out, but Pickwick alone, you've got 55, roughly 56 miles of lake. So you've got about 50 miles that's not what I consider tail race and high current, you know. So that's a lot of, that, man, there's a lot of water there and there's a lot of <laughs> stuff large down that stretch of, of Pickwick that somebody could find grouped up on a shallow bar, you know, find them in grass. And I really would say that the top 10 will be stacked with some people from one or both of the tail races, but I don't know that somebody will necessarily win it there solely because of one, the pressure, but two, just the change in, in circumstances. Not only do you have weather and, and boat pressure, but you've also got that current schedule, mm-hmm. which, you know, that they could pull 55,000 cubic feet a second one day. And then the next day they could pull 45 and the fish that, you know, you could be on 23 pounds of smallmouth and the next day they're gone. They just, right. they, they move and they're hard to locate. So uh, a guy that understands that well may be able to make that adjustment. But if I was a betting man, I'd say that somebody will, will win it on largemouth somewhere in the lake, whether it's, uh, you know, mid lake or, or the lower end or, or somewhere up around the seven mile area, there's just there's 50 miles of lake for somebody to find that magic place. Absolutely. You know, you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, being able to, to lock down below Pickwick into, into Kentucky there, you know, kind of brings me to a question of the ecosystem. We haven't talked about this in a long time. You know, obviously they're still having some BFL events on Kentucky Lake. Uh, obviously when you, when you think of Kentucky Lake, you think more of like Paris landing to the dam and, and that section from Tennessee up to uh, Southern Kentucky. But um, that being said, you don't see the impact at Pickwick that you've seen on Kentucky Lake. I mean, pretty much they quit going there in national events, <laughs> right? Because the fishing was, became very tough. You still see them catch some nice Kentucky Lake bass, you know, in the springtime when they're getting shallow, getting in the bushes and, and that kind of deals going on. The carp, 
you know, affected that ledge bike so bad, it seems, in Kentucky Lake. But you really haven't seen that wild push of, uh, you know, just numbers into Pickwick. What are you seeing in that regard from an ecosystem standpoint and health of the fishery specifically? Maybe even are the carp moving that far up Kentucky to Pickwick Dam? And are you seeing many of those grass carp in Pickwick Lake itself? Or Asian carp. I said grass carp. Yeah, I meant meant the Asian silvers. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, the the Asian carp are moving. What you had in Kentucky Lake, and I don't, a biologist could tell you more so than I could. I think a lot of it is more shallow water area and just a little bit different uh, fertility level out of Kentucky Lake. But the carp, when when they got in there, they just exploded in like a year or two. Pickwick has handled the influx of them better, but... A lot of people, I think, have forgotten the emergent situation that we're at with those fish moving up the Tennessee River chain. Mm -hmm. And I can remember probably 2017 seeing in the summertime when there was no wind, when they'd get up and filter feed, just seeing up by the dam at Pickwick, seeing loads of carp across the surface. And then it seemed like the numbers kind of, they thin themselves out. They just spread out through the lake. And it's almost like we forgot about them a little bit, but I've started to see more this year, more than the last couple of years, without a doubt. We've got a little bit less grass in the fishery this year. And those two things are exactly what happened at Kentucky Lake. Now, by no means am I saying that we're going to end up with a fishery that goes through as tough of a time as Kentucky Lake had right. seen in the past. But right. I do see the possibility of of us seeing the, the effects of the Asian carp and Pickwick. And we'll see. I think next year will be a telltale if we lose grass next year. I think those carp will continue to expand. And I think that we'll probably go through a four or five year downturn in the production. But it's like anything else. You know, fisheries have their highs and lows. And I've Absolutely. seen where Oxbow's where, where there was nothing but an Asian carp in the lake. And then they, they finally, nature has its way of curving things. And, you know, the waves that those carp make seem to settle. And then the game fish come back and you, you get bait fish back and, and it, you know, it comes back to a kind of a full circle cycle. So uh, next year will be a pivotal moment, I think, in the ecosystem for Pickwick and, and even the, you know, the fisheries above it on the chain. Interesting. Great stuff, man. Great to hear uh, that that kind of local knowledge and not, maybe not, you know, biological expertise, but uh, when you're an angler and you spend that time on the water, you, you kind of see these differences. I appreciate you expanding on those. You know, Pickwick aside, overall, you talked about a few baits, uh, several baits that, that were important to you in the fall. And you're, you're traveling anywhere in late October. You got three baits on your deck. What are your top three lures? on Jimmy Washam's boat late fall trying to find some bass. Well, like I said before, I'm I'm a, a guy with a lot of options on the deck, so you limiting me to three. You only get three. That's it. That's yeah. it. First, I've got to open the rod box and put about 18 rods up. Three <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to leave out. Um, Azuma Popper Z, it's just a, a, a topwater bait that you can walk. It's got a feather on the back that imitates those small bait. It gets a lot of bites, small mouth, large mouth, anywhere in the country that popping style topwater can really get good, especially, you know, on over and even when the water temperature gets well below what you would expect a fish to eat a topwater at. And then a chatterbait, 
you can just do everything with it. You can fish laydowns, you can fish grass, you can fish rock points. Uh, you can even let that bait, a half ounce chatterbait, you can fish at six to eight, even 10 foot of water pretty effectively. So that one's going to definitely be on the deck. And then just in case I come across those days where I can't catch them on, on the popper Z or the chatterbait, I'm going to have a wacky rig with a five and a half inch beach basin Cinco style worm on. And that's going to be for everything that I can't do with the, the popper Z and the chatterbait throwing up against uh, dock post, you know, fishing grass edges, things of that nature. And, and most importantly, I, I like having that bait on the deck in case I have a, a, a fish flag at a, a top water and I can follow up mm. with it. And if you're quick with it, you're about half the time or maybe more, you're going to catch those fish that miss the top water. So that would be the three since you had to limit me to it. Yes, so, uh, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's taking a lot of room on the deck. <laughs> well, I want, I want to bring up something real quick, Aaron, uh, and fire this off at Jimmy. I think understated, but so important. You talk about that Azuma walking topwater bait, but but the key there was you talked about having the feather on that back trailer hook. You know, I want you to expand. Why do you feel like that's so important? You, know, I think anglers overlook sometimes the importance of that addition in certain circumstances. Why is that important for Jimmy Washam in the fall? You know, the fall is is really when it shines and. And what I feel is the reason behind that is because they just get so keyed in on those smaller forage. And that's exactly what that, that little feather on the back does. When you let that, that top water sit, or even when it's in motion, those fish key in on that bait fish color and that small profile on the back end of it. And they, they can get in what I call kill mode, where they're just crazy kamikaze running into bait mm-hmm. with their mouth closed. You know, you, you throw a, a, a big, a bigger walking bait like an Azuma Z dog, and uh, they blast it out of the water, but they don't get it. They hit it with their mouth closed. Well, that that little feather on the back of of a popping top water, even on the back, you can put it on the back of a walking bait. I think that's something that they key in on, and when they hit the bait, they hit it with their mouth open, and we know that that's naturally going to enhance your hookup ratio. So that's that's the reason that I see it in the fall. And man, I'll tell you. You take that popper Z, you get it somewhere where you feel like you should get a bite and you let it sit and you count to about five or maybe even 10 and mm. it'll amaze you what that little, that little feather on the back's doing just sitting there, what you think motionless, it's really not. And all of a sudden one will just try to take it out of your hand with it sitting motionless. And that's where that feather really comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, and I appreciate expanding on that. I've seen the same thing in my fall fishing. Sometimes as you described, they're actually just eating the feather at times because they're so keyed up on that small bait. The top water, like the pop and Azumi you talk about, or, or a walking bait, whatever your choice of lure there is just the commotion part. Sometimes they're actually just eating that feather. So I thought that was an important tip and, and appreciate you expanding on that. Hey, Jimmy, quickly, before yes, we go into uh, the, the listener question segment, what what's your thoughts on why the horizontal presentation seems to, to be so much better than a vertical presentation in the fall? You know, it, it goes back to where I mentioned that the fish are feeding up. They are so keyed in on bait. That's how they prepare themselves to survive the winter and, and fall in water temperature. And a vertical presentation is not practical when the fish are, are feeding in the top third or, or even, you know, top fifth of the water column. 
So uh, making those long casts, giving the fish the ability to look up and see the lure. If a fish is wanting to feed on the surface and you pull a crankbait five feet below them, they're just not going to go down and get it. So um, that's why that horizontal presentation, long cast covering a lot of water uh, with moving baits is so much more effective in the fall. That kind of rolls right into a great listener question that we received that we picked for today's uh, segment brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boat. Question sent in through uh, the Bass Edge website from Jordan, I think Thompson or Thompson. I kind of abbreviated Jordan's question, but but here's the gist of it, Jimmy. Jordan says, I hear a lot of pros talk about using search bait. So when using a search bait, what will make you stop and fish a certain cover or structure after catching them on your search bait? Also, where I fish, bait tend to roam a lot, catch a lot of them mostly on top water. What for you is a good follow-up bait once they've located a school of aggressive fish? That's a good question. You know, it, it changes from the spring to the fall. In the spring, I just want to cover a bunch of water, and when I get a bite, then I'm really, really likely to slow down. In the fall, it depends on where you get that bite. If I'm going down the bank and I get a bite on a on a laydown, uh, we know you know a lot of times fish will get on on uh, anything that's sideways in the water in the fall. If I'm going down the bank and I catch a fish on a chatterbait on a log, I probably would make another cast in there with a chatterbait, but I'm probably not going to slow down. So same scenario, I come to a, a point with a with current flowing around it, a, a point of millfoil grass, and I catch a fish on that same chatterbait, then I'm definitely going to pick up that wacky rig and, and soak that area more after I make a few more casts with, you know, some maybe other moving bait options. But that scenario, the fish are likely to congregate in the fall but you have to use common sense on what type of area you're fishing to say, well, this this has the ability to hold more fish. You know, I've got deep water access nearby. I've got a, a more expansive area or maybe the type of cover that can hold a group of fish. So that's where I make that decision. And what I'm going to slow down with, the wacky rig is really hard to beat in the fall with a really slow fall. The fish are, like I've said, feeding up. They're on feeding on that top third of the water column. That's a place that you can live with that wacky rig. Beyond that, the, the Nico rig is great if you feel that you need to get closer to the bottom. But uh, maybe a finesse jig. I love a finesse jig on docks in the fall, but that wacky rig is going to be my first go-to when I decide to slow down and, and really work through an area. But most of all, I'm going to keep moving and make sure that I, you know, and putting my bait in, in front of as many active fish as I can. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Jordan, thanks for sending in that question. And what an answer by Jimmy, the MLF Pro Circuit title champion, just answered your question. All you need to do is log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, and let us know that you heard Jimmy answer your question right here on Episode 362. Fill out the information, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. Bass Edge listeners keep firing in those questions on our Facebook, Instagram, media pages. Also, you can click into the website BassEdge.com and click the Ask the Pros tab. We're going to pick a question every episode. Aaron's going to send you a free gift from Bass Edge Radio. Well, Jimmy, uh, you know, just a, a pleasure having you on on this episode, getting to know you. You know, I just appreciate the in-depth analysis with the questions and answers. Uh, any closing thoughts or, or comments that you would like to leave Bass Edge Nation with? You know, thank both of y'all so much for having me. Uh, all the listeners out there, the fall is a great time to fish. Beautiful weather. You really take advantage of it. Get out, look for the bait. Keep some moving baits on the deck. 
you know, hopefully Kurt will let you have more than three on the deck and, and have a lot of options <laughs> so you can really cover, you know, uh, give the fish a lot of options, cover water, and you'll find them, and it's really rewarding. Well, well, Kurt lets me have more than three, but he just bends my hooks over. So, I mean, That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jimmy. Hey, man, thanks for being here on the show. Congrats again, man, on already what has been an amazing year. A great start to kick off your endeavors here, professional angling. Best of luck at Pickwick later on this month, man. Again, appreciate you being with Bass Edge Radio today. Thank you all so much. Y'all stay tuned. Aaron and I are going to return with a few final thoughts after this short break. Bass Edge Radio. Hang on tight. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Kurt, I feel like we've kind of touched a lot on on the fall fishing and the tips and all the other good stuff right. uh, that has came about. But I, I did wanted to throw out one thing. You know, you, uh, every show you do a tremendous amount of research, diving off into all things about that angler. You know, unbelievable. He's won that kind of money. You know, working a full time job. You know, I almost want to say I'm I'm a little bit of a superstitious kind of person. If you know when something's working 
don't change it. You know, I was almost wondering, man, <laughs> should you really quit your job? You know, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I'm sure he knows best, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's a difficult decision. The allure of fishing for a living, nothing else on your shoulders, uh, just concentrating on the fishing aspect. Who wouldn't think it's going to be better, right? But I agree with you. You step back and what is Jimmy Washam going to get? And, uh, you know, I wish I asked him this question. What is he going to get by quitting his current career? You know, he's a sheriff's deputy. That's a pretty cool career, right? I mean, that's something that uh, is honorable. Uh, it's fun. It's probably exciting, you know, at times. And, and um, it's probably difficult as well, right? I mean, especially in this day and age, you know, with all the politics and things that go around with law enforcement and that type of thing. But man, when you have just ripped the guts out of a year like he did, you know, the Central Division Toyota AOY, uh, Pro Circuit, MLF title champion, um, you know, top 20 in the points, I think for the last two years on the pro circuit, just a great success rate. I wonder what additionally he's going to be able to accomplish by going full time other well, than, you know, you know he's going to have a guide service, you're going to be able yeah. to fish more, have less on your plate. And it's partially about quality of life, right? That's what I was going to say. I mean, I, you know, two things. One is I look at it kind of from the perspective that you are. It's like, okay, well, if you can do this, then I look at it and say, okay, well, with the, let's just say it's 40 hours a week, you free up that bandwidth. Oh my gosh. Then what else can he do in addition to what he's already done? But I think it also comes back to, it's not necessarily perhaps doing more within the sport. It could Mm -hmm. very, very well just be like you said, quality of life. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's interesting uh, to number one, awesome to see Jimmy be able to make that transition to do something that he loves to do something that it's really obvious. We talked about his skill set more. It's, dude spent a lot of time on the water. You just hear it in his voice, the way he answers questions, uh, the thoroughness of feedback that you get from him, and then just hearing his history of where he's come from to get to today, even though he might not have fished tournaments for the last 15 years or, or whatever, he's put a lot of time on the water to understand bass behavior over Absolutely. the last many, many and he, years. And he can so. manage, I, I think, probably his training, his professional training in, in the career of law enforcement has put yep. him in a position. We talk a lot, right, about making decisions. He even said that at the beginning of the interview. You know, there's days to where I don't get married to a spot. I don't even know where I'm starting. Remaining calm, remaining in the moment, right? which we all know those are all very critical pieces Mm -hmm. for being a Mm -hmm. successful angler. The dude's got it going on, and I can promise you uh, we're going to see more great things out of him, and it's probably not going to be the last time that we – have him on Bass Edge Radio. Right, right. Completely agree. It was a great interview. Great to get to know Jimmy a little bit more right here through Bass Edge and uh, look forward to continue to watch uh, his career evolve. Yes, yes. And uh, what a great episode. Again, congrats for producing another fine episode, Kurt. Appreciate all your efforts with the research and so many things that go into that. But for episode 362, we have reached the end of that and encourage everyone to follow all things Bass Edge through the social media website. Uh, You guys know the drill. And uh, be sure to check out some of that Bass Edge apparel in the interim. Kurt and I look forward to spending time with you again on episode 363, which will be November 1st as we quickly approach the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hard to believe another year is flying by, but uh, we look forward. I know. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. So for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to joining everyone in a couple weeks. So long, everybody. 
presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics. <laughs>